The Edge is copyright 2006 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. And be sure to check out The Mayday Murders, another free podcast currently available by Scott Wittenberg. Chapter 14, Part 2 She reached the intersection and headed south down 2nd Avenue at a slightly slower pace, taking in the evening scenes that only Manhattan could offer. In spite of the unseasonably cool weather, there were throngs of people out and about as well as an appreciable amount of traffic weaving and honking its way up the avenue. As she waited for the walk sign at the corner of East 74th, Ellen thought of how much she loved New York City and how she couldn't imagine herself happier living anywhere else. This was her home now, as awesome as it may be, and she felt it would always be her home base no matter where her future might take her. She felt a sense of comfort in the realization of this and an odd sense of security. When she reached the other side of the crosswalk, a couple holding hands passed by. Ellen smiled to herself and began wondering what it would be like to be truly in love, and if she ever would be. Then she laughed out loud at the mere notion, because it just seemed so silly now. Ellen Brigatti with love in her eyes? Why was she getting all these wild, crazy thoughts in her head all of a sudden? Perhaps it's just a case of spring fever, she thought to herself. Crazy spring fever. She spotted the restaurant where she had met Francois and crossed the street to see if maybe by some miracle he was inside. She peered through the window but didn't see any sign of the elderly Frenchman. Then she stopped at a newsstand and bought a pack of cigarettes before continuing her stroll down 2nd Avenue. Ellen walked another five blocks or so and contemplated where she might be able to get some interesting shots tonight. Then, as if on cue, she saw a sign for the Queensborough Bridge at the corner of 63rd, and the decision was made for her. She had told herself that she should check out the boroughs for a different perspective, so why not give Queens a go since it was so conveniently nearby? Her mind made up, she began walking the remaining four blocks to where the famous 59th Street Bridge converged with 2nd Avenue. She crossed the street and eventually made her way to the pedestrian walkway, cautiously dodging the throngs of traffic coming off the busy structure. After she had walked a short way up the gradual incline, Ellen could feel the old bridge swaying slightly from the weight of the countless trucks, cars, and buses that were inching their way into Manhattan from Queens. She wondered what kept the ancient span from falling into the East River, as she recalled that there was also an upper level to the bridge, no doubt with an equal amount of traffic flow. As she proceeded further out on the span, she became aware of a stiff breeze blowing from the north and shivered when she felt its chill. The cold wind brought to mind something she had heard earlier on the radio about a chance of snow tonight, but she found that rather hard to believe. It just didn't snow in April, and besides that, the evening sky was as clear as a bell, or at least as clear as it ever was in the city. Ellen continued her trek, occasionally passing some pedestrians bound for Manhattan, as she got further out on the span, she looked down and could see the East River below her as land gave way to water. Standing directly in the center of the river was Roosevelt Island, a natural island that perfectly bisected the sprawling waterway. She decided to stop and get a shot of it, although she doubted it would be of any artistic value. She walked a few steps further and stopped to take out her camera, silently swearing to herself for not remembering to bring along a tripod. She decided to make the best of the situation by resting the lens of the camera on top of a V-shaped beam on the railing. She finally composed the picture in the viewfinder until it looked promising and estimated a one-second exposure at f5.6 to be about right for the shot. After setting the shutter speed knob, she looked through the viewfinder once again. 
Suddenly, she saw the tram that ran between the island and Manhattan beginning to move up the cables toward her, its lights blinking off and on. At just the right moment, she tripped the shutter release and the lens opened for precisely one second and snapped shut. Quickly, she cocked the film advance lever and recomposed the picture as the tram continued moving toward her from the island. She pressed the shutter release and the scene was recorded on film. By now, the tram was out of her field of view, so Ellen removed the camera from the beam and replaced it in her camera bag. These shots just might be interesting after all, she thought to herself as she considered the tram that would seem to be floating in the foreground of Roosevelt Island, giving the image an exciting perspective. Ellen continued her stroll across the bridge, singing Simon and Garfunkel's 59th Street Bridge song quietly to herself. Just as she reached her third, feeling groovy, she heard the roar of a motor from behind her. She looked back to see a helicopter rising up from the heliport pad on the Manhattan side of the river. Quickly, she took her camera out, reset the shutter speed, and took a few quick shots of the white chopper as it loomed higher and higher in the air. She doubted if the shots would come out because of the low light and short exposure time, but she had learned long ago never to pass up a potentially interesting shot, no matter how technically challenging the circumstances might be. Many a famous photograph had been shot under diverse conditions that may have otherwise never existed, had the photographer not been willing to take a chance. Soon she passed the midpoint of the bridge and noticed that the traffic was thinning out considerably as she got closer to the queen side. The walkway started sloping gradually downward as it conformed to the arching structure of the suspended span. Instinctively, her pace quickened and she soon reached the end of the walkway. Welcome to Queens, she thought to herself. Ellen stood on the corner for a moment with a sort of lost feeling. She had never really been to Queens before, with the exception of going to Kennedy Airport a few times and riding through it with her parents as a child when they had vacation on Long Island. As she stood there and looked out the austere scene before her, she realized she didn't have an inkling where to go from here. She spotted a large bank building and decided to head toward it, since it seemed the least foreboding destination amidst the rather stark landscape ahead of her. When she reached the bank, Ellen sat down on a bench to rest and collect her thoughts. She observed that the bank was one of several banks situated in a sort of cluster at the entrance of the bridge. Besides the banks were a couple of buildings that looked as if they could be warehouses, a few small retail stores, and a pizza shop. Across the street was much of the same. Dull gray and brown buildings and more stores, most of them closed for business. Above the middle of the street was an overhead subway station that she knew was Queensboro Plaza, named after the bridge. With a heavy sigh, Ellen realized that she should have brought some sort of map and laughed at her own stupidity for not even considering it before she had left Manhattan. Now, here she was in God's country, and she didn't even have a damn map to tell her where to go. Oh well, she decided. She would just have to make the best of it. She peered over at one of the banks and noticed an enormous time and temperature sign that read, The Long Island Savings Bank, perched high above it. Just as she noted the temperature, she heard the clattering of a subway train on the elevated trestle coming from behind her. She turned around and watched as the graffitied end train pulled out of the station and round the curve of the trestle to destinations unknown. This event befitted the bleak atmosphere she now found herself in perfectly, and she began wondering what she ever expected to find worth photographing in this lackluster burrow. Determined that there simply had to be something, somewhere... Ellen arose from the bench and decided that she would follow the subway trestle for lack of any other tangible direction to pursue. Surely, she thought, it must lead to somewhere more interesting than this. She walked over to the street above which the train trestle ran and began plodding along it. 
After she had walked a few blocks, she noticed that the apartment buildings became more numerous the further she went. There were a few people walking about, too, including an occasional unescorted female. This, she was relieved to see, since it suggested that at least she was in a fairly safe neighborhood. The last thing she wanted now was to be mugged or raped in somewhere Queens. Ellen also noticed that the few stores and delis she passed by were closed, and she thought that rather odd since it was still relatively early by New York standards. After she had walked a few more blocks, though, she came upon an area that actually resembled a neighborhood of some kind, with several real-life people shopping and dining in places that were still open. She spotted a particularly thriving deli and decided to stop in to ask someone where she was. "'Long Island City,' the plump lady replied from behind the cash register. "'Thank you,' Ellen said before returning to the street. "'Long Island City, eh?' she thought. "'That was sure a big help. "'The woman could have told her tip a canoe for what good it would do her. "'She was definitely lost in a lost country.' "'As she walked along, Ellen noticed that the neighborhood streets "'continued becoming livelier and more populated the further she went, "'bolstering her spirits somewhat. "'Occasionally, a train would clatter by overhead, "'and she was stunned at how incredibly deafening the noise was. "'It was almost sinful.' She wondered how anyone could bear to live anywhere near this street, with this incessant racket going on all the time. Deciding that the residents must surely be half-deaf, she quickened her pace in order to avoid as many oral assaults from the trains as possible. A few blocks later, she came upon a street called Broadway, and considered the irony of its name as she looked down it. It was just as ordinary-looking as all of the other avenues she had passed, and she doubted if it even had so much as a single movie theater on it. She had to admit, however, that this was the most inviting street she had seen thus far, and could sense that she was entering a more pleasant neighborhood. She noted that many of the stores and restaurants were Greek, and that a few of them seemed quite decent. After she had gone a few more blocks, she noticed that the traffic was getting considerably thicker. She went a couple of blocks further until she came to an intersection that was literally sprawling with traffic. Feeling somewhat bewildered by this sudden hubbub of activity, Ellen looked around for a possible clue as to where she was. A few feet ahead of her, she spotted an important-looking sign that had once been green, but now was almost completely obscured by a yellow-brown rust coating from the train trestle. She moved closer, and she could just barely make out the words that read, Grand Central Parkway, with a small arrow pointing to the right. Hmm, now that sounds familiar, Ellen thought to herself. When she looked catty-corner across the street at a street sign that read Astoria Boulevard, Ellen at last knew where she was. Astoria. She was familiar with the name of this neighborhood because of the famous Astoria Studio that had once been a major movie-making studio many years ago. She crossed noisy 31st Street and walked a short distance until she came to Hoyt Avenue. Looking to her left, she spotted the Triborough Bridge majestically lit up a short distance away. Ellen tried to put the bridge into relative perspective from the vantage point of her apartment balcony and calculated that she was now standing across the East River, maybe five or ten blocks north of her Manhattan apartment. Recalling that there was a park nearby from the time she had taken the Circle Line tour boat around Manhattan, she decided that it may be worth checking out. Perhaps, she thought, she could at least get a half-decent shot of the Manhattan skyline from the park. She had always wanted to photograph the skyline, but until now had never been at a good vantage point to do it. Her mind made up, she backtracked to a small grocery store she had passed to ask directions to the park. Spotting an elderly man standing outside the store, she went up to him and inquired. Greek, no speak of the English, was his reply. She then asked another man standing nearby and got a similar reply. 
Just as she started to enter the grocery, a young man carrying a paper bag came out of the store and brushed past her. Thinking that he could almost be an Englishman by his outward appearance and outdated beetle-style haircut, she approached him. Excuse me, could you tell me how I could get to the park from here? He looked at her rather oddly before replying. Well, you could either walk or hail a cab, but I'd suggest walking since it's only a few blocks away. For some reason, Ellen found his answer amusing, and she broke out laughing. I set you up perfectly for that, didn't I? Yeah, I guess you did at that, the stranger replied. So what do you want to go to the park for at this time of night? Well, I thought that maybe I could get a good shot of the skyline from there. I'm a photographer, Ellen said, gesturing to the camera bag at her side. Oh, I see. The stranger paused for a moment, then said, I know where you can get a much better view than the one at the park. His eyes told her that he was hinting at something. Oh, yeah? Where? On my roof. You see, the problem with the park is that it sits too low. Besides that, you have all kinds of buildings and trees in the way to deal with. What you need is a high, unobstructed panorama, and my roof has just that vista, the stranger declared, with a slight hint of pride in his voice. Ellen looked at him coyly. And how might one get to the top of this wonderful roof of yours? He tried to keep a straight face as he replied. One might walk with me and take the stairs, or one might hire a chopper willing to make a potentially perilous drop-off. I'd suggest going with me, though, since I'm much cheaper. You are too much, and I'm not referring to the price, Ellen chuckled. Seriously, I'd love to take you up on my roof. I just live a couple blocks away, he said, motioning down 31st Street. Ellen didn't need any more convincing. That would be very nice of you. Let's just cross the street here, he said as he led the way diagonally across the busy intersection. As they made their way down the street, Ellen put her hands over her ears when a train roared overhead. She waited until it had completely passed by before she spoke. How can you stand living here with that racket going on all the time? Believe me, it ain't easy. Fortunately, my apartment is in back of my apartment building, so it isn't too awfully bad once you're off the street but it's still horrendous any way you look at it. For the first time, Ellen noticed the trace of a southern accent in his voice. Where are you from, anyway? You're obviously not from New York. Southern Ohio. It's very obscure, he replied. And your name? Adam. What's yours? Ellen. What's well, nice to meet you, Ellen, he said with a warm smile. Nice meeting you, too, Adam, Ellen replied, returning a smile. In a few moments, they reached Adam's apartment building. Well, here we are. Watch your step now. The first one is crumbling a bit, Adam said. He led Ellen up the stairs and held the door open for her. They entered the foyer, and Ellen stood by as Adam opened the inner door without the use of a key, then glanced back at her. This lock hasn't worked since the day I moved in here. Good thing this is a fairly safe neighborhood, eh? I'll say, Ellen replied as she followed him into the hallway. She stared at the peeling walls and ceilings and wondered how anyone could bear to live in such an unkempt building. I can see that you're not too impressed with the decor of this dump, Adam said when he noticed the expression of restrained disgust on Ellen's face. Actually, the apartments per se aren't quite so bad, but they aren't exactly Park Avenue either. When they reached the second floor, Adam paused just outside his door at the top of the landing. I've got to put this in the fridge, he said, referring to the brown paper bag he had been carrying. You're welcome to come in if you think you have the nerve, he added with a mock sinister smile. Ellen smiled. I'm feeling bold enough to be up to the task. Thank you. Adam unlocked the apartment door and Ellen followed him through the long, dimly lit hallway that was cluttered with boxes, a suitcase, and an old three-speed English racer. 
When they entered the kitchen, he switched on the overhead light, and Ellen observed a small but neat and curiously furnished room. She noted the carpeting, freshly painted walls and framed photographs, impressed with the comfortable, lived-in atmosphere that the room emanated. "'What a cute apartment,' she said. "'Thanks, but you don't have to lie for my sake. The only thing cute about this apartment is the rent, which is actually affordable.' "'Seriously, Adam, I think it's nice, especially after seeing what's out there,' she said, pointing toward the cluttered hallway. "'Yeah, that's a real mess. I seem to have inherited my dad's inclination to be a pack rat.' "'I didn't mean your hallway. I was referring to the rest of the building,' Ellen corrected him. "'Oh, well, that goes without saying. I'm convinced that the landlord has completely forsaken this building. I think it's just a tax write-off for him,' he said dryly. Ellen walked over to the kitchen table, took off her jacket, and sat down. As she did so, she couldn't help but notice the surprised expression on Adam's face. "'I hope you don't mind if I sit down for a minute. I'm just a little tired from walking.' "'Not at all. Make yourself at home.' Can I get you anything to drink? Thanks. Just give me something cold and wet. How about an ice-cold beer? I'm afraid that's about all I have besides water and milk, Adam said. That would be terrific. Adam removed the six-pack of beer from the paper bag and tore off a couple of cans before setting the remainder in the refrigerator. He opened one up and handed it to Ellen. Thanks, she said. Adam popped the tab of his beer and sat down across from Ellen. Where did you walk from, anyway? he asked before taking a slug of ice-cold bud. "'From Manhattan. I live on the Upper East Side,' Ellen replied. "'That's quite a walk. So what brings you to Queens, of all places?' "'Well, as I told you before, I'm a professional photographer. I usually do fashion, but I've been doing a little project on the side for myself, just shooting pictures of the city, you know. I can tell you right now that there isn't much here to photograph,' Adam said acidly. "'I'm beginning to believe that,' Ellen said, recalling what she had seen so far. She glanced into one of the adjoining rooms and spotted a guitar leaning against the wall. "'I knew it! You're a musician, aren't you?' "'Yeah, a struggling musician. I've yet to see a penny come from it. Are you in a band?' "'Uh-huh. We've been together about two years. Mostly we've just done showcases and stuff like that, more or less waiting to get discovered.' Lately, I haven't exactly been holding my breath, Adam said. Do you write songs? Ellen was staring intently at him now, her enthusiasm apparent. Yeah, it's an all-original band. If we weren't, we'd probably actually be making some money. And sing? I guess you could call it that. Adam was more than a little surprised at her intense interest. That's great. You have to play something for me, Ellen said excitedly. Adam stared at her for a moment, taken aback. Then he raised his beer and said... Maybe after a few more of these. Ellen was disappointed at his apparent reluctance. Okay, I'll wait then, but you have to promise me right now that you'll play. Adam hesitated, and then said with a trace of mock defeat in his voice, Sheesh. Okay, I promise. Ellen smiled victoriously, took a sip of her beer, and quickly assessed the stranger sitting across from her. He was rather tall and slender, with deep green eyes that sort of flickered with cynical humor, and stared with great intensity at the same time. Anyone would assume that he was a rock-and-roll musician, with his boyish features and longish mid-sixties Beatles-style haircut. She wondered how old he was. He appeared to be approximately her age, but there was something in his manner that suggested that he was a bit older, perhaps maybe even thirty. There was a quiet reserve about him, as if he had been through a lot of life's experiences, but hesitant in letting anyone in on them. She had the impression that he was hiding something, and that he was constantly on his guard to keep whatever he was hiding carefully locked inside.
Whatever the case, she knew that she was immensely attracted to him in a way that she had never been attracted to anyone before. Besides a physical attraction, there was something about him, something she couldn't quite put a finger on, that seemed to draw her toward him, a mysterious bond of some kind, and at that moment she knew she had to get to know him better, to find out what it was that drew her toward the stranger named Adam so profoundly. I assume from what you've told me that you must be working a regular job to pay the rent, she finally said. He nodded. Right. I work as a sales clerk at a photographic supply store in East 33rd in the city. It's just a job, that's all. So that's why you know something about photography, eh? Well, not really. Photography has always been my second love in life to music, and since this job is sort of related to it, it makes it bearable, if you know what I mean. Still, all I do is sell film, which is hardly the same as taking pictures. It's a shame you can't make a living doing something related to music. Yeah, but I'm afraid there aren't too many music-related regular jobs to be had. I can't actually read sheet music, so that rules out studio session work, pretty much. I'm into production, though, and I'm considering starting up my own studio if the rock and roll dream doesn't happen in the near future. Of course, that will take scads of money to pull off, so I don't see that happening for a while either. Any way you look at it, the music business is a rough one to get into. Probably as tough as professional photography. I bet you had a lot of dues to pay before you were able to make a living at that, didn't you? Ellen shrugged her shoulders. Actually, I was very fortunate to have gotten a pretty big break not long after starting out in the business. But you're right. Photography is a very competitive field, just like music. There are a lot of assistants and freelancers out there dying to get their own businesses started up. I sort of lucked into an assignment with a major fashion magazine early on, and ever since then, things have really happened fast for me. You must be very good, though, Adam said. I'm okay, but there's a lot of people much better, Ellen said modestly. My uncle was more than a little influential with the magazine I mentioned, and I think that had a lot to do with my success. Let's face it, it all comes down to connections any way you look at it. Still, you apparently have the talent, or you couldn't have gotten as far as you have. I think it's great, and you should be very proud of yourself, Adam asserted. Ellen stared past him. I've probably been too proud of myself, but that's going to change. What do you mean? It's sort of hard to explain. Let's just say that I've let my career run my life, and that I've finally realized that there might be more to life than myself and my work. I've just decided to open my eyes to that possibility quite recently, and already I feel almost like a human being again. Up until now, I've been blind to the other things that are going on in the world, and I've more or less pretended that they don't exist. But there are other things in life, and I'm seeing them now as if for the first time. Things like caring about people other than myself, and realizing that the world doesn't turn around just for me. Things like sharing a little bit of my precious time with someone else, and showing that I acknowledge their existence and are concerned about them. Stuff like that. She cast Adam an embarrassed smile. I'm probably not making much sense, am I? Adam looked directly into her eyes. You're making a lot of sense. As a matter of fact, I've recently been thinking similar thoughts myself. It's all too easy to get wrapped up in your own self and to forget about everyone else. It's as if your career is running the whole show, and you're merely a puppet to its demands. Finally, before you know it, you've practically forgotten who you are and that there is someone else out there. A whole world, for that matter. As you struggle through life serving your career and yourself, you start actually resenting that other people exist and begin putting yourself on some kind of high pedestal. Ironically, at the same time you're lowering yourself to new depths, 
totally missing out on the real world and all the ordinary things that those other people are enjoying, like love and enjoying themselves as they live their safe and ordinary lives, instead of being themselves to a pulp with their own minds. It's a real dilemma, he said with a sigh. I'm truly amazed, Ellen exclaimed. I couldn't have described it better myself. You know, it's funny. Here I am, not even successful like yourself, and already I'm trying to talk myself out of my career. Something's wrong, isn't it? Ellen's eyes were filled with emotion. Nothing is wrong, Adam. You're just wiser than me and are saving yourself a lot of pain before you get in too deep. There has to be a happy medium somewhere. Somehow, one has to find a way to pursue his career without forsaking everything else in the process. I don't know how the hell you'd do it, but there has to be a way. At any rate, you can't just give up your career completely. If you're anything like me, you feel compelled to pursue it at any cost. Which leads us back to the original question. How do you do it? I've given that quite a bit of thought myself, and I think I've come up with the least of theory. You don't do it alone. I think that's the key. You can't isolate yourself from everyone and expect to do it all yourself. Otherwise, you'll just go crazy. You need someone there to help shape your thoughts and to offer a second opinion to what you're trying to achieve. Unless you're some kind of god, you just can't do it all alone. Not forever, at any rate. You know what? You're absolutely right. That's the mistake I've been making all along. I've been a stubborn fool and kept myself from others. I've always assumed that they wouldn't understand me or could be of no value to me. But everyone has some value, even if it just means companionship or a second opinion. And perspective. People give you perspective. Ellen paused a moment, then said, Yes, you're absolutely right, as if to establish it in her mind once and for all. Well, we've solved that little problem now, haven't we? Adam said with a light-hearted chuckle. Ellen laughed. What shall we move on to next? Simultaneously, both of them realized the serious nature their conversation had taken, and it dawned on them just how odd it all seemed. Two virtual strangers discussing life's worldly ways. It was profound. Adam lit up a cigarette and offered one to Ellen, which she accepted. He said, What do you say we check out the roof? We can take our beers with us. Sounds great, Ellen replied. I've got a tripod somewhere in the closet if you think it would do you any good. I know she don't have one with you. Oh, that would be great. I really should have brought one, but I totally forgot. I'll go find it, Adam said, arising from the table. He went into the studio room and began rummaging through the cluttered overhead closet, quietly swearing to himself as he tried to locate the tripod amidst the ill-organized mess. Ellen could hear him from the kitchen and started laughing. Having a little trouble finding it, Adam? What a goddamn mess, he said. I've got enough shit in here to open up a friggin' flea market. Ellen got up and joined him in the studio. Need some help? Yeah, thanks. Here, please take this goddamn thing, he said, handing her a canvas flight bag. And this too, he added, handing her a pile of blankets and an old stained pillow. What in the world are you keeping this funky old pillow for? Ellen asked. Hell, I don't know. Unwelcome guests, I guess. Do you really need all this stuff? Ellen asked, peering into the closet in disbelief. Hell no. I wish someone from the Salvation Army would break in and steal this crap. Wait a minute. There it is. He pulled a tripod out from beneath an old toolbox and handed it to Ellen. I knew it was in there somewhere, he said with a sheepish grin. Adam gathered up the entire pile of stuff and threw it back into the closet in a single heave. Thanks, Ellen. You're welcome. Can we take that with us? she said, eyeing the Gibson acoustic leaning against the wall. Yeah, I guess so. 
Adam replies he realized that she wasn't about to let him forget his promise to her. He picked up the old guitar, and Ellen started looking through his album collection. "'God, you must have every Beatle record ever made!' she exclaimed. Adam walked over to where she was standing. "'A lot of them are bootlegs and imports. Believe me, there's a lot more out there I'd like to have if I could only get my hands on them.' "'I've always loved the Beatles,' Ellen said. "'Music nowadays just doesn't seem to stack up, does it?' "'That's for sure.' "'Well, let's hit the roof. I'll take the guitar and tripod if you can handle the beer, okay?' "'Sure,' Ellen replied, and followed Adam into the kitchen. She took a couple of beers out of the refrigerator and picked up her camera bag before joining Adam at the door. "'We have to be sort of quiet going up. These neighbors are really creepy.' "'Okay,' Ellen replied, her voice also hushed. They walked up the two flights of stairs to the fourth floor, and Adam practically tiptoed up the remaining flight as Ellen followed suit behind him. When they reached the top, he undid the latch on the large metal door and quietly pushed it open. The first thing to greet them was a chilly breeze blowing in from the north. "'Christ, it's getting cold. The temperature must have dropped ten degrees since we came inside,' Adam exclaimed, closing the door behind them. "'It is rather brisk,' Ellen replied with a slight shiver. She looked out ahead of her, and all she could see in the darkness were rows and rows of ugly apartment buildings. "'Come on, let's go around the front,' Adam said. "'Watch your step.' Ellen followed him as he walked gingerly toward the front edge of the roof. As soon as the skyline became visible, she was amazed at how beautiful it looked. Just as Adam had told her, there was a clear, unobstructed panorama of virtually the entire east side of Manhattan, all the way south to the World Trade Center. What a great view! Yeah, it's pretty decent, especially when it's this clear out, Adam replied. He rested his guitar against the brick siding and began pulling out the legs of the tripod as Ellen stood and admired the view. Adam handed the tripod to Ellen and she began looking for a suitable spot to set up her camera. In a few moments she found the right spot and removed the camera bag from her shoulder. A medium wide-angle lens would be perfect for this, she told Adam as she started searching among her lenses for the proper one. Adam watched as she twisted the normal lens off the camera body and replaced it with a wide angle. She then attached the camera to the tripod and looked through it as she panned the head of the tripod slightly. How does it look? Adam asked. Very nice. I can just about take in the entire skyline with this lens. Here, check it out. Adam walked over and looked through the eyepiece. Although the scene appeared more distant than in reality, the skyline filled the viewfinder of the camera. Looks great. I've taken a few shots with a normal lens, but it doesn't take in nearly as much as this baby does. I'll have to get myself one of these wide-angle lenses some day, he said as he stepped away from the tripod. They do come in handy at times, Ellen said. Now all I need is my cable release. Adam watched Ellen as she searched her camera bag, thinking for the umpteenth time just how incredibly beautiful she was. Ever since he had first laid eyes on her, he had tried his best to appeal calm and collected, which couldn't be any further from the truth. And now, with each passing moment he spent with this charming, charismatic girl, he was finding it harder and harder to conceal his true feelings of elation and excitement. After all, it wasn't every day that someone like her came along from out of nowhere and obligingly let herself be taken to a perfect stranger's apartment. Quite willingly, in fact. But besides this unlikely phenomenon, he found himself totally astounded at how well they related to each other, and he could feel some sort of mysterious bond between himself and her that went beyond all comprehension. It was almost as if they had known each other before from a distance, on some kind of spiritual level, 
and they were just now meeting each other on a physical level for the first time. Although the whole situation was impossible to conceive, he was certain of one thing. He was incredibly attracted to this girl named Ellen, and he was enjoying every minute of her company.